Welcome to this week's episode of Sooner Catholic Podcast. We are reviewing Father Jim's talk last night on church authority. Trevor, just give me one nugget that's on your mind, uh, not even to do with the talk, just what's one thing that you're that you're wrestling with, praying with today? I'd say one thing that uh, I've been praying about is just the baby. Uh, so, I mean, it's now April 15th, um, and uh, our due date is in two days, so I'm just kind of waiting to see whatever the Lord has in store. But I guess I've been praying about that through that. Um, asking the Lord to like transform my heart to, to desire to take on this new role with just such a like a purpose and a joy. Um, yeah, because I'm not going to know how I respond until I do. So I've been just praying and like asking for the graces to do that well. And, and I've been like reading and praying with guys different things this week that have to do with the idea of seeing everything as a part of God's divine providence. Um, and so I can't help but think that this is going to be another application of that. So I'm super, super stoked. And that's really been what's yeah. on my heart in prayer. Love it. I love it. Yeah, that really rhymes with, yeah, like, like the Lord f- continually forms and molds our identity and then and then brings us more fully into it to live from it. And I see that happening like at this major point in your life now with, with fatherhood. It's like there's there's a definitive change in your identity in becoming a father, and then there's, there's the slow work of, of God bringing you in to live from that, which is cool. And I think each one of us is experiencing that, right? As a, as a son or daughter, as a disciple. It's like there's a definitive change in our identity and our being. And, and the Lord's bringing us to live more fully from that. I love it. I love it. Okay. So Father Jim's talk last night, um, for everyone who was there or everyone who wasn't there, was just <laughs> so, it was just fire. It was really, really good. Um, I feel like he was just being a good, just a good dad. He was just like sitting on stage talking about, yeah, what is what is the church? What is church authority? How do you explain it to believers and non-believers so faithful christians and uh you know atheist agnostic or um, anyone in the secular world so we're going to also divide it into those two parts too and to talk about how would you talk about church authority with other christians and non-christians one of the first things being when you're talking about it with christians to really begin at matthew 16 was a major point father jim was was hitting on last night and what stuck out to you trevor from from him talking about matthew 16 and its importance with church authority well one of the things i told kenzie this afterwards but i actually didn't know um the kind of geographical and let's say like historical context that he was speaking of that on the rock like the, the place that he actually gave this call to, to simon peter um was at a place where there was a, an idol constructed right idol different idols constructed to different um pagan gods and goddesses one of them being pan and that there was a pool that was believed to be a pool that led to the underworld so when he says you are peter upon this rock I will build my church, right? He's, he's referring in the literal place where there's a rock that it, that represents, you know, another God. Um, and he says, like, the gates of the, the, the netherworld will never prevail. Well, it's at the place that, you know, presumably pagans would have thought the, or different pagans would have thought that the netherworld was. So that really struck me. I did not know that yeah. context. Um, there's, there's other things for sure, but I'd say just in terms of sheer, like, wow, I've never heard that before. That was really cool. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that too. That was a major takeaway for me was just, again, just like knowing knowing history and knowing geography of like knowing where is Jesus saying this and, and how, how that impacts everything about it. Um, and so that, that leads Jesus into giving him the new identity and the mission of being the, the rock of the church and then giving him the authority to bind and to unbind, which has to do with sin and also has to do with obligations. I thought that was a really interesting point he made is, is like, okay, if if Jesus is giving the, mm-hmm. the power to Peter and to the apostles to unbind the effects of sin, we see that in, in the sacrament of confession. And then we also see 
uh, he also the apostles are also able to bind the the rest of the church, and that would be like the obligations that are asked of the church to to attend mass on a weekly basis. And mm-hmm. um, I thought that was really really good, really interesting. And then going into other things, he talked about okay, like so if if there is a Protestant friend or family member who's talking about okay, sola sola scriptura, like I I only believe what I can see or what I can read in scripture, right? And so that's the only authority that I turn to. I don't recognize any church or any kind of um, outside tradition or anything else outside of scripture. And then he just brought us to the simple question of like, okay, if you purely believe in scripture, like where did scripture come from? Like did scripture produce itself? So like, where's the authority that led us to even have scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Which is something that we can, we can forget like that. Just a very simple nugget yeah. um, in the first, what, 300 years of the church when, when the canons being, um, just like when the, when the church is, is compiling like the, the different gospels and the epistles and but yeah, what was your take on that? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that one, like just every time, you know, it's a classic, like if you go on Catholic answers, they're going to talk about this kind of thing, <laughs> but, but it is true. Right. Like, I mean, if you look at the, the scriptures themselves, right. Uh, rely upon the church authority, right. The church came together in a council and determined like what books were going to be considered sacred, what books were going to be left outside. And some of the ones left outside, it's not like, Oh, every single one was completely heretical. There, there were just ones that, you know, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, working through the church, that they did not conclude, like that, that these were inspired word of God, mm. you know, containing no error and truth, um, but still contain like goodness in them. So that there's uh, some of these other like books that we find, and there's a lot. Like if you go back in history, there's a lot of these other things that were written that weren't included, right? So it's it's basically this, this idea of like the Bible doesn't have an inspired word, uh, you know, table of contents. Is how the Catholic answer, you know, like it doesn't say like within the book these are the books to be included in this book, like. Mm-hmm. Right. The reason the books are there is because there were men guided by the Holy Spirit, men and women guided by the Holy Spirit, right, who who were able to discern God's will and to, like, choose that. And that for the rest of time, us reading our Bibles literally today, we're influenced by God at work in the church mm-hmm. doing that. Um, yet I think, I think uh, something I was thinking about the papacy, and this gets into a really interesting um, topic of, of late interest, um, but, right, so... One of the topics I think that this was most pertinent of in recent times was the topic of, um, oh, what's it called? Why can't I remember what it's called right now? Contraception. So this this actually came came kind of to a head recently. So following Vatican II, there was a there was like a specific like uh, group of people who were commissioned to go like do like to study and to look and to see like is the church's teaching on contraception like valid, right? So they had twelve people that were on this particular like group, and they went out. You know, they looked at different things and 10 of them came back and said, yeah, the church is wrong. Like we have to change our, our stance on contraception. We have to allow contraception in limited ways within the church. Um, two of the people like dissented and were like, no, like the church has to remain true to this. So, I mean, if you're just going democratically, right, if you're just going by like that, then what should have happened is that the church should have changed its teaching against, mm-hmm. you know, this and, and turned to contraception. But uh, uh, Pope St. John Paul, II, or sorry, <laughs> John Paul. Uh, Pope Paul VI, who was the Pope at the time, he's now a saint, um, came out and said, like, wrote Humanae Vitae and was like, no, like, right. the church is going to uphold our understanding of contraception. Perfect example of, like, there was many individuals within the church, people who are commissioned, who, like, apparently had enough authority or mm-hmm. considered to be faithful enough disciples to, like, try to interpret this, right? But the Pope comes out and everyone, like, massive, like, scandal. Like, everyone's, not scandal, but, like, massive, like, negative response. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um so it's crazy to see that, like, the papacy, right, defended 
it wasn't like this man is perfect. Like right. Pope Paul VI was not a perfect man, but but God used him through the office of, of, of the Petrine office to like defend the church's teaching in a way that preserved like the original teachings of the church. Fun fact in there, one of the two that actually dissented, one of the or sorry, one of the two that was like, no, the church can't change this teaching that was on that was actually John Paul II. It was Carol Watiwa at the time. So kind of cool. cool. But anyway, so I think that's a really good real world example within the past 50 years of how the papacy has like continued to, to allow the church to remain faithful to its teachings. That's so good. That's really, really good. I think that it holds true of like you, you don't you don't want to be part of a, a church that changes with the world, but one that changes the world, right? And so even even when, when like modern like the modern culture and even the science at the time is like indicating like hey, there's like this this would be okay, right? Because they didn't have the the same um, insight into into life um, and at, at the time. And so, be, but because it held strong, it like yeah, it just held truth, and it was through the office. And I think that's something else that Father Jim was talking about is like. There's a lot of disdain for, for um, like the infallibility of the Pope and and people thinking like how could you think he's perfect? And it's like no, we, we actually don't believe that the Pope is perfect in his personality or even in in the moral life like we talked about in the history of the Church. The moral lives of of, of the popes have not been perfect by any means, or, or the bishops or the priests. But we do believe that the Holy Spirit protects the office, which I think is really really neat. And so even in that yeah in that example, we see like the Holy Spirit protects and guides the office of the church to, to remain in truth, to remain in unity. And so why did Jesus establish that office? And, and Father Jim talked about that, right? It's, it's for the purpose of unity. When we see that there's not that that one central unity uh, or central office, we see like division in the church. Yes. Yeah. And division is not from the Lord, right? Like we know that, that unity is from the Lord, but division is from is from the evil one. So we, we just, we see how even even in, in, in the inclinations of good, um, in, in personal revelation or personal feeling or sentiment or whatever it is that there's been divisions in the church uh, because of, of different reasons. But we see, of course, like there's yeah 33,000 churches now because of, because of the disunity, yes. even, even in the Orthodox church, even the Methodist, even like in really good um, sections of the church, like where there is like good faithful people and good teaching mm-hmm. because there's not that office that's guided by the Holy spirit. There is still division and yeah. disunity. Yeah. One, one other thing, too, that I, I was, like, thinking about, um, <clears throat> I was actually talking about with this with someone earlier this week, but one of the things to consider, right, is to look at the scriptures, to realize that it's compiled, right, of the Old Testament written in Hebrew with different times, different places, in different genres, different contexts. You have the New Testament written at different times, a little bit more, uh, like, less of a span of time that it's written in, mm-hmm. right, but different genres, different places. There's different cultural meanings. There's different geographical things, like even like I learned last night when it comes to this. And so, right, there's a huge and immense burden. If we look at, like, the different options on the table right now, if you're like, I believe in Jesus and where do I go, right, when you speak of this 33,000 different denominations, there's there's all kinds of places you can go. But the question is, like, if if, if biblical interpretation is left up to me of, like, this, the truths of the faith, mm-hmm. that's a huge burden, mm-hmm. like, placed on the individual to try to figure out, especially, I mean— there are scholars who speak all of these languages and like know them well and know the context who's given their lives to it, who still disagree. And so like for the average lay person to try to interpret the scripture like perfectly on their own, it's just a massive burden. And thing again, this is not an argument from like um, the evidence necessarily. I think there are some of those, but it's almost an argument from like understanding God's nature is like, would a loving father like want to, to leave his children in confusion and not leave them a sure and steady means by which to know like what is true and the ways in which he desires to love us. 
is that not like a higher vision of a loving father that he would leave a way to know how to know what is true in the scriptures? How besides me trying to in, like interpret it on my own? Um, again, this is not talking about like you know interpretation as it regards to like my own life, like personal, right? right? But like doctrinal interpretation. That's that's just. I think it seems to me that that's a massive burden to be placed in the individual, which is why the loving father established a church to guide us into all truth. Yeah, that's so true. So true, and. And w- even just like with with uh, the Reformation, or even like, like the, I feel like the Lord has has brought good out of it. Like he he has like he, he's brought a, a deeper yes. emphasis on personal relationship with Christ, which like can't be understated. I think one of the things too is like okay, um, yes, personal revelation has has led many astray from fullness of the truth, and it, it's also it, it there's a good in and of itself of like okay like. Like the Lord doesn't just want you to be, uh, it's a quote I heard recently. Like he doesn't want you just to be an echo, right? Just to speak what someone else has received, yep. but he wants you to be a voice. Like he wants to speak directly to you and, and give you a, a testimony in abundance, right? And and when that's taken out of the context of, of the greater community of the church, then it can it can lead you astray in thinking that uh, that that is a a a truth that's um, that should be understood by the whole world, right? Yes. Rather than directly into your life. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, yeah, there there is a a, um, a revelation in the sanctity of the office and the protection that that gives to, to uphold in, in uh, like in difficult like moral situations and difficult spiritual uh, questions. But then that there is there is a fruit here of there is a, a place and a time and an opportunity for personal revelation and for the yes. Lord to speak into your life and to make those things come alive. In, yeah. uniquely in your life which is yeah. which is good which and the last thing i'll say about this is i think that leads to good prayer with the scripture like when you have the, it's almost like when you're playing the game of basketball right like if you have if you know the rules you can there's the beauty of the game is able to be particular to you because there are parameters and under which like you know you can't go right like we always look at rules as these burdens right but rules actually enable beauty to take place so when it comes to my personal walk with the lord when i kind of like have the boundaries of like what the church teaches on like certain things within scripture when i'm walking in those parameters i can now pray with like lexio divina or something like that and hear god speaking into my personal life creating a new story in mm-hmm. me because because i know that it's not going to contradict like i have i have the freedom to kind of like be to be at rest in god's mm-hmm. presence and allow him to speak to me and again i'm not saying oh god doesn't speak to me. <laughs> that's not that's not my take i'm just saying that like this is the beauty of the church that it actually enables i think most fully our ability to, to let god make a story in us mm-hmm. um so, so. True. So true. I love it. Um, okay, so moving into the portion here for the next just three or four minutes, where does authority lie in terms of non-believers, in terms of non-Christians? And I love this this portion. He says it kind of is um, kind of falls into three different areas for non-religious people. The first is it's it's a person-to-person basis, yep. based on experiences, based on feelings, based on sentiments. <laughs> So it's up to the person to decide what is right and what is wrong, and that's kind of the highest authority when it comes to the moral life or spiritual life or whatever. It's, it's a personal truth. The next is the authority lies in, in the state. So it's it's the government's responsibility to determine not what is immoral but what is illegal. He talked about the, the difference in that. It's like, okay, if we can't uphold morals, then we're going to uphold the law. And so it's up to the state to determine what is right, and the authority lies in the state and the governing body of the country or state or whatever that you live in. But he says that most people kind of function in this quasi-anarchist he described of, of, of uh, essentially there's constant clash between one person's morals and another person's morals because each person is equivalent in, a, in their authority. 
and um, and I just think that it's beautiful that the, exa- the examples he gave to this that kind of just portray each of these the person to person or the state is like if if person to person is true like each person is is their own highest authority then then the moral decisions and the spiritual decisions that um, that Adolf Hitler made and Mother Teresa made are equivalent right yes. and there's yes. nothing differentiating him if all authority lies in the state then everything that Adolf Hitler did would would be okay because that was his authority as as the um, as a person in, in authority in, in Germany at that time. But the reality is that I think most people would fall into this kind of quasi-anarchist thing of, of it's our own personal feeling that determines our, our morality. Um, and what's kind of been your experience with that, Trevor, of, mm. of people saying, well, you know, it's kind of somewhere in between. Like, there, you know, there are some elements of, of, of truth, but we can't really know them. But but you just got to follow your, you know, your own beliefs, your own upbringing and that kind of thing. What, what's been kind of your experience with, with that? Yeah, it just, I've just seen it lead to a lot of confusion in people's lives about like how they ought to live. Um, right. Because it's kind of what we were just speaking of before. If I, if I've gotten rid of the rules of basketball, well, there's going to be so many discrepancies that come up as we play because there'll be, there's so much like arguments about, well, you did this and you did that. You know, it's kind of like, I don't, if you've ever played a pickup game where people are really heated and they don't have a ref and sometimes they just get like, you know, um, and it's like, anyway, I guess in short, I've just seen where it creates a lot of confusion in people's lives of what they're looking for, what they're living for, all these different things. Um, and I think like a good place to start in conversation with someone who maybe, you know, doesn't hold that there, that there is a, you know, a God who kind of ordains the things that are good and are evil, these sorts of things. Um, a good place to start is just, like you said, you kind of talked about it, but like trying to find places where they're inconsistent with that, where they're like, well, yeah, this is actually, well, I would, I would agree that this is wrong and being like, well, why, what's the basis? Right. Um, and again, it's not right. like you're trying to attack. You're, you're trying to like have a conversation where, where you can just like have people understand what, it, what do I actually believe? Cause some people will be yeah. willing to go to the place, not many, but some will, if you push them, they'll be like, you're right. Yeah. Hitler's choices were not wrong. Like there's no such thing as wrong, right or wrong. He was just, you know, you know, like you'll get to a point where people will be like, yeah, he wasn't wrong. Like right. someone should, we could have, I would say, in my opinion, we should have stopped him. And most people's opinions might be the same, but there is no right or wrong. Right. And that's where you're at a completely different place. Yeah. But again, it's, it's not about like necessarily trying to go in and argue. One thing that's really important is like, don't argue at the level of like yep. the conclusions, argue at the level of the premise. So like, mm, what are, what are your pre, what are your, your deepest like beliefs about the world and like who we are? Because if we if we can talk about those things, and we I can understand why you might believe that abortion should be legal. I can understand why you might you know believe that this or that because because it flows from your first premises of like who we are and like what we're made for. Um, so I think when you're talking about authority and like why we should believe in morality at all, like these sorts of things, it's it it needs to go to the level of first premises, and you have yeah. to know who you're speaking with mm-hmm. because like yeah. Like Father was kind of talking about, you'll find people in different camps, and you kind of kind of figure out where someone's at to begin to figure so out like how to how to speak with them. So I love that. I love that because with with non-believers, you can't even start with church authority. You tra- you would start with with God as having authority, right? And and determining what is good and what is evil, like you said. I love that. I love that. Talk talk about the premise and not about the the conclusion or about the issue itself. And so, in in a question of like, okay, do you like most people? Most people would agree or feel it is wrong to do harm to someone else yeah and then they might you know say like well unless the person's done harm first or whatever might go into an eye for an eye mentality but mostly would say well it's wrong if you begin to hurt someone else right yes and say okay well what what makes that wrong well because a person is innocent or they're good 
or okay well what it's makes like what makes yeah. a person good well every person's just good because they're a person okay well, when does that begin well like i guess or, and then when does that end like is it is a person's goodness affected by a mental health disorder it's a person's goodness effect affected by addiction or by um like legal uh, legal problems and, and felonies okay what well, if they serve their time is it restored like is it forever tainted how how far is does a person need to commit a sin until it's tainted or how virtuous is a person needed to be until it's regained like and who decides that is there any actual like truth here is is there a natural law written in a heart that would say that every person is good and has innate dignity yeah. um yeah. i just think it's yeah it's good just to start that conversation there with what determines good what determines evil and is is this just a societal thing is it a cultural thing is it a person unique thing because you came up in the sanchez household the brecker household no there there might be something with it, written within our hearts by god that helps us to see what is good and what is evil right and that that goodness is definitive and evil is definitive and yeah good i love that idea of the premise i think it's awesome yeah I have a book recommendation. If you're really interested in these topics, especially kind of the second half of this, the ones we talked to him less about like how to talk about like right and wrong in the world. There's a really good book that kind of dives into this that I read over my Christmas break called 10 books that screwed up the world by Dr. Benjamin Weicker. Um, it's basically, he's a Catholic like professor. I don't remember where he teaches, but it's not even necessarily a Catholic book. He just talks about like different theories of like who we are and like where morality comes from all these different things from different authors. Super interesting. Cause all of them in some way are addressing this question of like morality in different ways. Um, again, very, uh, let's say intentional book of him to like condemn a lot of these thinkers. So, so take that with a grain of salt, but it, but it, I mean, I think a lot of them are worthy of being condemned. Um, one of them is Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. So it's a really, it's just a very, if you're interested in this topic, I would highly recommend 10 books that screwed up the world, Dr. Benjamin Weicker, but otherwise know that all these conversations hopefully will lead back to, to a greater encounter with the person, greater encounter yeah. with God. So, so yeah, don't forget the whole point of a crucial conversation, the whole point of apologetics is not just defending, but explaining to help understand, leading to reconciliation, leading to a deepening relationship with that with the person directly, with the person with God. That that is actually the hope. Okay. All right. Have a wonderful week, you guys, and thank you for listening. One nugget on my mind right now is it's eleven twenty is a chicken nugget. I really would like some food. Um, <clears throat> okay. Welcome to today's podcast. This is your host, uh, Trevor. Thank you guys for listening to the Sooner Catholic Podcast. This past Friday, April sixteenth, the Sooner Catholic Podcast turned one year old. So we thank you for your support over the past year.